Hi, I'm Shane Hurlbut. I'm an ASC cinematographer, and I wanted to kind of talk to you about something. Getting started in this industry is almost impossible. And my wife, Lydia, and I, 14 years ago, created a resource called Filmmakers Academy to make it possible. We saw a lot of gatekeeping in this industry and not a lot of sharing knowledge. So we wanted to pull back the curtain, give you confidence, teach you all the necessary skills to be an amazing, successful filmmaker, and package it all on this online resource that you have at your fingertips, on set, on your phone, on your laptop, whatever it is. So we're going to give you $50. So if you go into the show notes, click the link, and hit the promo code FAPOD50, you're going to get $50 on your first year of an all-access membership. And I cannot wait for you to join our immense and immersive community at Filmmakers Academy, where we network, we share knowledge, we just bond as this huge filmmaking uh, resource to ignite your creativity and push you beyond your boundaries. I cannot wait to see you in the Academy, and let's get to the podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Inner Circle Podcast. Today, we have Zach Arnold, ACE, who is a television and feature film editor. And he is here to talk about mindset and how that creates success. Hey, Zach, how you doing? Pleasure to be here. And as we all know at this table, it's been a long time coming, making <laughs> yeah. this conversation a reality. So I'm yes. excited. Let's get right to it. Yes, it has. And one thing I want to just kind of start with is, you know, for all of our members, just give us a little blow by blow of who you are, what you're about, all that good yeah, stuff. Yeah, sure. So the the current version is, and this is a narrative that's constantly changing, uh, which will be a narrative of today's conversation, is that uh, I'm a uh, recently retired Hollywood film and television editor. Uh, most recent and notable credit would be uh, Cobra Kai for Netflix. Okay. Um, some other recent and credits uh, include uh, Empire, Glee, Burn Notice. And I made the transition to being a career strategist and a podcaster where I work with artists, storytellers, and creatives so they can create the more balanced, more sustainable, and more fulfilling creative careers that they deserve, all of which is very difficult to do in this industry. Oh my God, I'm ready to talk about this stuff. Oh, <laughs> this is my topic. <laughs> Wellness. Yes. Yes. Finally, uh, Lydia. I know. So, Zach, we first met, I want to say it's been over five years. Seven years. As Seven a of years. Fact. Yes. And what I loved about Zach, most of all, what I respected was your limitless mindset and how you how we both could see possibility. And when we get together, this is a warning. Uh, we go down some rabbit holes. So let's start with a little bit about why you created, why you left editing and decided that you have to be doing what you're doing because it's more important than anything else. Yeah, that's yeah. a big pivot. Yeah, it's it's because it's a you big, obviously loved what you did. I loved what I did, and I still love a lot of aspects of what I do. And technically, I'm not totally retired, and that 
um, give or take whatever's going with the current climate of the industry. I am going to go back and finish up the final season of Cobra Kai because that's a huge love of mine and something that I want to see through to the end. But in general, I consider myself retired from the industry. And there's there are a lot of steps to get there. But I think the biggest one is this moment that I consider the height of my success in my career where simultaneously I was also a rock bottom. And this is wow. when I realized that the definition of, of success that the industry creates for us is very different often than the definition of we create for success, but we don't take the time to define it for ourselves. So where this all kind of came together was in the edit suite for season one of Empire. So for anybody that may or may not remember, Empire was a cultural juggernaut when it came out first season, breaking ratings records. It's probably one of the last shows that was considered appointment television. It was on the cover of every single trade and magazine and enter you could not go anywhere without hearing something about the tv show empire and i'm in the epicenter of that having been one of the editors on season one so looking at the trajectory of my career was like i've made it i'm sitting in this room no windows all by myself looking at a timeline and a week from now 25 million people are going to see the editorial choices that i've made this is what it's all about I'm also sitting in the same room, putting my children to bed via FaceTime for the hundredth time in a row, realizing this is not the life that I thought it would be. And it all comes down to this one very distinct moment where I was on the phone, putting my kids to bed via FaceTime at the time my son was give or take five and my daughter was three. And we did our usual back and forth for a few minutes. And then they thought they had hung up, but they hadn't. And my son looked over at my wife and he said, mommy, why doesn't daddy want to put us to bed at night? Why doesn't he love us? And that's when I said, Whoa. this, th- this is not the life that I signed up for. Like getting 25 million people to watch a show that I have my name on and it's on all the trades and all the magazines. This is not the life that I designed and the life that I want. And then shortly after that came the negotiations for season two where I realized I had zero negotiating power because I needed the paycheck because the only way I can make a living Mm -hmm. and support my family is editing television. And that was a huge wake up call for me. And I realized that there are certain things about my creative career and my craft that I absolutely love, but that's when I realized it was time to start diversifying and finding more fulfilling in different ways to be able to, to make a living and generate an income. And that was just the deep, dark dive into learning about personal and professional development and the power of mindsets and how to strategize your career and how to build a network. Because I never wanted to be in the position again of I have to take a job where I have to choose the work and the paycheck over my kids. So that was kind of the beginning of uh, everything that led us to eight or nine years later, which is me sitting here today. Yeah, I mean, I have that scenario that happened with me. I was building my career as we were starting to have kids and it was very difficult. And I think now uh, Lydia's amazing brain and creating Filmmakers Academy and giving us that ability to not have to take whatever comes our way that we can pass. And now, now I'm focusing much more on our kids then I'm focusing on uh, the work sometimes, which is exactly what I had hoped for, right? Is like trying to find that wonderful work-life balance. Yeah, and that that diversification that all of you started years Mm -hmm. and years ago is what gave you this amazing thing called a choice. 
It's given yeah. you choices. And I think that what you guys have done and what you've built, both the business, but you as a director of photography and what I've built for both having the optimize yourself business that I have, but also being an editor, I now have choices in a time exactly. where having diversification and generalization is going to be my life raft given the direction that our economy, but specifically that our industry is going with the advent of artificial intelligence. I am eight years ahead of the curve where now everybody else most likely is having that same existential identity crisis of there's no work right now. But more importantly, after the strike is over, will I ever have a job again? That's the difference. It's not just a matter of how long before I can go back to work. It's will my career be waiting for me when I get there? And everybody else, I think, is collectively having this identity crisis of who am I if the only thing I do is this one job and I can't make a living doing it anymore? So I think that what we've done in building these these different avenues of income and ways to provide value to others, I think that's mm -hmm. the wave of the future for everybody in the industry. No, I think you need something like that. Don't you agree? <laughs> yes, I have so much I want to say, but I'm trying not to interrupt. So, <laughs> Please so, do. So, Get in there, Lydia. <laughs> so let's let's rewind a little bit. So you had this moment that made me tear up from from your son and uh it i don't want to smash cut to optimize yourself so i really want to take people through the process because i think when we are at a crisis and when there's an existential crisis where it's like i can't be away from my kids and do the job that i love anymore i really want to go through the details a little mm -hmm. bit because that is terrifying that is really really scary yeah. So how how did that, you know, take us through that a little bit just on the fast forward track of that? And then we'll get into all of these diversification things, how to create multiple revenue streams. But it's the mindset that is the foundational to everything. Yeah. So, so go for it. And I agree. I think that the there's a whole lot in between, you know, what happened eight years ago. And like you said, smash cut to the result. Yes. What I wanted to do was here's the beginning and here's the end. I love nonlinear timelines. Now we have to cut back to the flashback and figure out all the, the in between, right? Yes. Already already in the editor mindset. So <laughs> essentially the, the first thing that I realized was, like I said, I was having an identity crisis. Who am I if this is the only thing that I do? And the way that both our industry, but just our economy, our design, we're told that what we do is who we are. And I was so tied to the identity, identity of being an editor that I didn't know how to even begin to approach this. And what I started diving into was learning more both about mindset and learning about health and wellness and productivity and all these different areas because the business was literally killing me. I mean, it was literally killing me from the hours, from the stress, from the exploitation, all the demand. So it was, it kind of started with, I'm going to a buffet and I'm just going to do a little bit of everything in the health and wellness and personal development and productivity, all these things, just consuming all these podcasts and, you know, reading all these articles and taking the online courses just to get a sense of where do I start? And the theme that I notice, and this is the theme of what I teach now, it does not matter what the strategy is or what the tactics are. If you don't believe first that you're capable of doing these things, I can teach you everything available in the world and you're going to do nothing with it. So belief is the foundation of all of it. And I didn't believe that I had the value to do something other than being an editor. So I thought, mm -hmm. well, where do I start? And this, this is a big area that I find so many of my students get stuck is when it comes to making either a career pivot or transition or deciding they want to do something different. The mindset is, oh, now I have to start over. 
And that's not even remotely true. But again, if the narrative is this is all that we're capable of, well, we need to start over to learn something else. And it took me a long time to figure this out. But I went through this massive period of imposter syndrome, which is very common in the any creative industry, especially when you're making a change, where once I figured out that what I really love doing and it's in my blood and it's in my family is being a teacher, well, who am I to think that somebody's going to pay me money to coach them to be healthier when I've worked in Hollywood editing my whole career? Like, who do I think I am? And it took me a long time to put together this narrative. But the narrative was that I wasn't a Hollywood editor and now I'm transitioning to be a wellness coach and a career coach. It's that the essence of what I'm really good at, what my creative calling is, is that I'm really good at taking a whole bunch of disparate, disconnected information, story points, narratives, where to most people it's like I'm just seeing a a wall of nothing and I can connect all of it together very succinctly and communicate an engaging story. Once I figured that out, it was just... I don't have dailies that are coming into my avid anymore. You are creating the dailies and Mm -hmm. it's my job to help you edit them down and construct the narrative that you want for the next chapter of your story. When that clicked, I was like, I've been doing this my entire life. (laughs) Not only that, but one of the the core key components of being a a great editor, you got to be a really good therapist. Yes. You have to manage all of the personalities, the directors, the producers, everybody's got different needs and you have to be a mediator and you have to really understand how to empathize with everybody's voices and tell a common story. Whenever somebody says like, what's, what are the key skills that you need as an editor? And they're thinking avid or asymmetrical trimming or whatever. It's no, you have to be able to communicate ideas. You need to be able to mediate all the needs of others, but you need to be able to put the story first. Yes. Right. It's all about the story first. So once I connect the, d- the dots and realized mm-hmm. I'm really good at taking all of these story points and simplifying and communicating them and simplifying and communicating them in a really succinct narrative, that's when I realized I can be a great coach. But it took a long time to connect those dots. And I think for people listening to this and watching it, it's so important because if you were to look at my journey, it's been crazy. I mean, going from nurse to forensic expert studying death investigation to life coach to starting a business for filmmakers. But the really neat thing to Reiki, right? But the really neat thing about that crazy journey is that now in the role that I'm doing as a leader, inspiring people on their health and wellness journey, I'm using every single piece of my background. And I think it's almost like data mapping Mm -hmm. your particular genius points, putting it for people on paper and visually figuring out what is it that I'm really amazing at and how can I translate that into, and a lot of times it does require coaching because I'll tell you, I've done a lot, I've had a lot of, we've done coaching, we've done life coaching, we've done business coaching, we have had mentors, I was in a women entrepreneurial group because this insight requires help from somebody else. I don't think that you just wake up and say, wow, I'm good at these 15 things and I'm gonna design something for myself. And it doesn't have to be incredibly costly. You don't have to go into a program. I think it's you literally need to turn to the people that you love the most and respect and have them help you on this journey. And then you decide, okay, how much do I wanna fast track this? You know, and that's where the coaching comes in or that's where the programs come in. Yeah, right. I, I couldn't agree with that more. And one of the other discoveries I made very early on in my journey is that 
again, I'm really good at taking all these disconnected story points and creating mm-hmm. a succinct narrative. Yes. I suck at doing it for myself. I am so <laughs> bad at doing this for myself. So one of the first things I did was I got a coach and I was creating the dailies and I was just blah, here's all these things about my life and I can't figure it out. And they're like, here are the patterns that we see. And I'm like, how did you do that? That was amazing. They're like, what are you talking about? You do this all the time. I'm like, oh, I do. Why can't I do this for myself (laughs) to this day? Still can't do it for myself. I still have coaches to help me with it, but I'm really good at doing it for others. And our brain is literally wired. I've looked into answering this question. As soon as the question's in my head, I got to figure it out. And the question was, why can't I do this for myself? I'm so (laughs) self-sufficient. I should be able to figure it out. Our brains are wired as a survival mechanism to seek out the support and help of others. It's literally within our genetics and our DNA and it's evolutionary. We're wired to suck at doing things for ourselves because our survival mechanism is being surrounded by others. There's a lot more complexity to that, but the simplest answer is we are wired to need each other. Yes, and that's where the community comes in and the supportive community behind it because it is very difficult having done this myself and for myself before I got a coach and headbanging a lot. It's hard to keep the momentum and and the belief in yourself to keep it going without the community. And I think it's the community cheering you on and celebrating your wins or having people that you can showcase work to and then say, hey, look at this, I really need some feedback or what could I be doing better that makes all the difference for the time it takes, right? And that's the most important thing for efficiency. So let's go into- um, well, One thing that yeah. I just wanted to throw out is let's talk about exactly what Zach's job is. A television editor is very different than a feature editor. And you are under the gun and the walls come crashing in on you and the timelines start to fold on you and you're doing, you know, 12, 14, 16, 18 hour days sometimes to meet those deadlines. The the CGI work comes in super late, you know, I mean, the demands of a television editor are extreme. So mm-hmm. I can see why you called uncle, mm-hmm. right? And you called uncle in a way not to say, oh, I don't love this. I don't want this for myself. I don't enjoy this. I was like, I want to call uncle on the way I'm not able to focus with my family, not be with my family, not engage with my family and enjoy a wonderful workspace, right? Mm-hmm. And and creativity and everything. Yeah. So, so I, uh, and the, the thing to, to clarify that I think it's so important is it wasn't me calling uncle on, I can't do this. It was calling uncle on, I refuse to do this the way that you expect me to. Exactly. Right? So specifically in television, there's a, so many differences related between TV and features. I'm not going to get in the nuances of those. That's a separate four hour interview. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but the biggest one, and this is another common question I get from people is specifically as a TV editor, what's the most important mm-hmm. skill you need to be the most creative? And I tell them time management. You need to be really good at time management because if you want to deliver great cuts and you got to be a part of the sausage factory, constantly spitting it out, you have to be amazing at time management. So essentially part of this, uh, this transition, kind of this, this gap that you want to really Mm -hmm. dive deeper into, it was this time in 2015 where I both pinnacle of my career and rock bottom, I realized that I'm not going to make the transition overnight. 
and I'm not giving up, but I refuse to do this the way you expect me to, and I'm going to find a different way to do it so I can thrive as an editor. Because at the time, I didn't know that I was going to give up editing and make a transition. It was I need to find a better way to do it. Right. And then once I found a much better way to do it in a much more efficient manner where I had a lot more balance, I was spending more time with my kids, I was putting them to, to bed in person instead of via FaceTime, it was when I realized I figured all this out and it works for me and I still don't want to keep doing it. That's when the transition was made over to coaching because my intuition kept saying just this voice inside, you're meant to be doing something different and better than what you're doing now, but using the skills that you have. Right. And that intuition is so in tune with mindset where again, if somebody's like, well, how do I do, uh, how do I manage my time better? I can talk about busy cal and time blocking and how you, like all that's great. But again, if you don't believe that you're capable or you don't have, there, there's a difference between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. The fixed mindset is I am who I am and I have these talents and I have these shortcomings and I can't change it. And the growth mindset is I can't do whatever this thing is yet but I can learn it and I can grow into doing that. Mm -hmm. But the biggest thing that I probably spend the most time doing in my coaching program has nothing to do with tactics or strategies. It's managing the voices that say, oh, but I couldn't do that. It's the imposter syndrome, right? Because that gets in the way of the intuition. The intuition says, I meant to be doing this thing. No, you're not. You can't do that. Come on, let's let's be realistic. Do you really think that you're capable? But I feel it. I feel I meant for this. No, you're not, right? So I'm managing that imposter syndrome and those those the belief or lack of belief in yourself. That's where mindset really comes in. And let's talk about that because these self-limiting beliefs, we are so harsh to ourselves, right? Like we treat ourselves in a way that we would never treat a friend. We are self-critical. I mean, it's terrible what we do to ourselves. And so I would love to get into, uh, for the basis of mindset, and this plays into morning routine and, and habits and, and kind of what did you learn through your own personal growth story and all the changes that you've done to kind of break through limiting mindsets and to create, because mindset and intention, and I want to really make a distinction between the two because intention is everything. Once you've kind of managed the mindset, then intention is everything. But let's start with mindset, right? So what did you learn? Yeah. So the, what I learned and it took uh, years and years to put this together. Uh, but what I learned and it was specifically for me deciding and setting the audacious goal of, you know what, I have a, an award-winning dad bod and I'm really out of shape. So I think I'm going to be an American Ninja Warrior. Like that's, that's exactly the voice that I had in my head. My intuition said, we want to go after something bold, part of this journey. And in going through that journey, what I learned, and I don't know what, you know, how, how willing we are for me to, to be frankly honest. And if you have to bleep me, you have to bleep me. But what I learned through this process is that we spend our entire lives telling ourselves we can't do things. And I realized that I am completely and totally full of shit because I yeah. would say, I can't do that. But then I would force myself outside my comfort zone to try the hardest version of what I could do and slowly build upon that. And I realized I've been lying to myself my entire life. And then again, all came from having the wrong mindset, having the wrong programming and all these limiting beliefs. And it was by putting myself in a position where I was forced to do something really, really difficult outside of my comfort zone. That's where all of my growth occurred. 
I love that. And I think that you and I both talk about this all the time, but getting outside of your comfort zone. I mean, I've done that so many times in my life, you know, getting on a plane to try to talk somebody into taking me into medical school versus starting a business where everybody told me it would fail. I mean, I, I live out of my comfort zone. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like from a cinematographer standpoint, that's what we have to live in every day. Anytime you start to get comfortable means you are kind of uh, getting sedimentary. Your look kind of starts to look the same. You just keep on doing the same kind of things. I Every time I read a script, I read it with the freshest eyes. Mm-hmm. I throw everything that I've ever, however I've lit anything, however I've moved the camera, I throw all that out and then just try to look at it from a different lens. And how can I reinvent the way cars Mm -hmm. are shot and action is shot. How can I reinvent how to immerse an audience in active valor? How can I, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. these are the kind of things that go through your mind as a creative that being uncomfortable is how we live our life and how to manage the stress that comes with being uncomfortable because it's very stressful. So you have to balance that. So how in your world of this new transition, this big pivot that you've done, how would you say, okay, I'm your, uh, you're my coach. How do I, how should I be handling that stress on set? How can I manage it better? Uh, You know, so you can give me some pointers. Yeah. So the, the place that you have to start is changing your relationship with the scary word failure. In your position, let's go back half a step to where you said as as a creative, you're always trying new things and always trying to, you know, like cutting edge look or changing this or that. That's you. That's not every creative. What happens with a lot of creatives is they're in this learning phase where I'm absorbing all this information and I'm building my career. Then all of a sudden I hit this point where it's like now I'm in performance mode, right? Learning mode versus performance mode. And then they do the same things over and over and over because they're predictable and they're comfortable. And one of my biggest pet peeves, I see this all the time, especially via social media and the different uh, groups, you maybe you see it in your community, where you see this conversation about creative approaches or about technology or about the business, and you have somebody very new to the industry and you have a veteran. And they say, I've been doing this for 30 years. And my response is, it doesn't mean you've been doing it well for 30 years. You've just been doing the same thing over and over and over. Just because I've had a driver's license since I was 16 does not make me ready for NASCAR. Right. The reason that you continue to innovate Mm -hmm. is because you're willing to adopt a growth mindset. And with that growth mindset, I would guess even within the last week has come failures for you. Right. It's, oh, I screwed this up or this looks wrong or I made a mistake. It's that fear of failure that keeps people within the fixed mindset and keeps them in their comfort zone. The only way you're going to grow is your willingness to embrace failure. But if you see failure as what you think it is, as I failed, Well, that's the problem. My mindset is that failure is feedback. So when people ask me, what is it about you that's different or unique that's allowed you to have the success that you have? Mm -hmm. The fixed mindset answer is, well, I was a gifted child and I'm good at all of these things, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It just is what it is and it's fixed. I don't believe that there's anything about me unique or different than any of the 8 billion people that are on this planet, right? 
What's different and the reason that I achieve success in anything I choose to do is that I will fail faster and harder than anybody I'm competing with. <laughs> right. You oh, trust out. me. I am on the Bring failure part. I have a great failure story. And this is one that I, I want to throw out there because failure is, is all about not only learning, but also pushing yourself. Uh, you know, out of that comfort zone that we, we've been telling. But I, I had a great one as a gaffer. So I was finally, I had been working with this cinematographer for four or five years as a key grip. And I would always hound him, you know. I would go up to him and I'd say, you know, I've really been doing a lot of gaffing with this guy and that guy. And I'd really love if you give me a chance. And, and uh, you know, I, I won't sell you down the river. I'm going to be there for you. So he goes, all right, I'll give you a chance. So it was Cherry Pie was the music video, okay? And we drove way out to Paris, California. I didn't even know there was a Paris, California. I'm just learning this now as a matter <laughs> of Yeah, exactly. So there's, in Paris, California, for some reason, has like 20 satellite dishes that are literally 150 feet in diameter. So that was where Cherry Pie was going to be doing their song amongst all these big uh, satellite dishes. And the, the DP wanted to be this crazy kind of uh, strobing effect and lightning and everything. And he had always used those old plunger effects. Back in the day, you just basically plunge arc uh, rods together you know, 220, the thing, and you literally be welding to create uh, lightning. Well, David Pringle, I love the man. He comes up with this idea. You know, I'm going to create this massively intensive strobe light that looks just like lightning, and it's super bright, but it takes a lot of voltage uh, to, to uh, an amperage to be able to make this thing go. So I go to his place. And he goes, yeah, the thing draws about 50 amps, you know? And I'm like, okay, copy that. So I'm going to have 20 of these things all at 50 amps. All right, now I'm going to put these all onto one generator. Okay, good. You know, I, I got this all <laughs> oh, handled. So uh, the pre-light is going very well, and we're about ready to break for lunch. And uh the DP comes up to me and he goes, all right, Shane, so I've hired you as a gaffer. Show me this lightning that you have. And I go, all right. And I got this thing. I, I had to make a piano for me so I could do 20 buttons all at the same time. And I go, wah, bah, 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 bah. And he goes, holy shit, that's why I hire you. That's why you're my gaffer. You are the greatest. You do the research. You always are looking for the greatest, uh, you know, lighting instruments and everything. Show me that again. And I hit it and it blows the generator. <laughs> <laughs> I went from hero to zero mm -hmm. like this. And the best line was, my key grip yells out, What's your light meter say now, Shane? <laughs> it was the darkest dark I had ever seen. You couldn't even see somebody three feet ahead of you. And it took, we had to bring a whole new generator out. We had to, it, we lost four hours. It was an absolute disaster. He never hired me again. But boy, did I go back to David Pringle and said, Hey, dude, these don't think these things are not 50 amps. They're 250 mm. amps mm -hmm. because it blew my generator yeah. up. Yeah. And he, 
But it's those lessons that you want to absolutely, you just want to go into a hole Mm -hmm. (laughs) in that moment. Right. And you tell yourself, you're never going to get hired again. Your career is over. Think of the internal dialogue that Mm -hmm. happens there. Oh, yeah. And so it's managing yourself and learning from that very intense experience which of course it was intense it was electrifying oh yeah it was electrifying (laughs) until it wasn't yes but so how would you coach through that because i think this Mm -hmm. is really important yes this is the key to everything right here yes because you have to be willing to embrace that failure and you tried something and it worked until it didn't so here's the difference between that leads to something or you're done and it's one word this is the key to mindset is literally one single word if the voice in your head after that happens is, well, I guess I'm not a gaffer. Well, yeah, then you failed and the journey's over and you've got to figure something else out. Or the voice is, I guess I'm not a gaffer yet. I guess it's time for me to learn from my mistake and iterate and figure out what did I do wrong. The idea was right. The execution wasn't. But it's not because I'm not capable or I'm a bad person. I was lacking information. I'm willing to learn and grow. Therefore, if you were to do that again, well, now you get closer to success. Exactly. The mindset is what stops you from, well, I guess I can't do this. Like if I, if I go back and listen to my first podcasts, I literally cringe like, oh my God, I was so bad at this. So it wasn't a matter of, well, I guess I suck at podcasting. It was, I suck at podcasting now, but I'm going to get better at it. And I just kept doing it and doing it and doing it. And the skill and this is really important, curiosity and, and whether the brain, and this gets to a little bit of neuroscience, but you know we have a reticular activating system that keeps us safe, right? This is how it is. This is what I know. The brain selectively scans to keep us all safe and on our journey. And I think that it's, it's learning how to use techniques like curiosity in this moment. Right. So you got curious and said, wow, I need to talk to David Pringle. We've got to figure out how to make this work. And so that we both really understand, because this is an experiment that we tried together. And so it's the curiosity. Right. It's like, okay, when I do this next time, what am I going to change? What is that going to look like and not make it mean anything because it really doesn't have anything to do with you as a human being. Exactly. And this was not something that just happened to me. He had told many other gaffers this and they all blew up their generators too. (laughs) So they came back to him and they're like, you know, dude, what is going on? These things are obviously pulling a lot more amperage than you suggested. Mm -hmm. So it led to innovation. So what he Mm -hmm. did is he created battery packs because these things were so abusive to the generators And when we'd have to get a whole other generator to be able to just do lightning. And that started a whole new mantra throughout the industry. So first it was get another generator so it it doesn't have this issue. Get a generator that's big enough to handle the amperage. And then he innovated to be able to have battery packs that you just park right next to the thing. You don't have to worry about getting another generator. And then that really was his end game. That's where it actually, where the problem happened through failure, then how to 
adjust and pivot on that failure. Okay, let's just get another generator and we'll hook it all up to that. Then, oh my God, that's added costs. There's all these mm -hmm. things. We got to run double power, all that. And he's like, okay, what if I can come up with battery technology so it's right next to the head mm -hmm. and that's able to do it. So you see, it's like failure is essential to live. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think that a lot of people just don't understand that they're so, they're so caught up in the fact that they do not want to fail. They don't want to show the weakness of failing. But I don't think you're weak when you fail. I think you're super strong when you fail because you have gone further than anyone else had tried at that point. You know, I was, nobody had ever tried 20 lights before. <laughs> when I asked him to create the piano, he was like, why would you do that? And I said, because I want to play 20 of them at a time. Mm -hmm. And he goes, well, most of the time we just have it on set with like three or four to create the lightning effect. But I was doing something that was more music video based, which had no kind of realm and reality. Mm -hmm. It was just us doing some cool shit, yeah. right? But I think the I want to go back to the mindset because I love all of this. So I view failure as you're just going in the wrong direction. You need to pivot, right? You need to learn from that. You need to make a pivot. Whatever you tried didn't work. But you as a human being are very different than Shane Hurlbut, the DP. And same for you, same for every one of us. And I think it's when you're innovating, when you're curious, when you're trying things in your career, we personalize the failure and say, I failed. But it's like, I'm trying a technique that's never been done before, and I'm having the courage to do that. And we all know it may work, it might not. There's a huge distinction between my idea failed and I am a failure. Yes. Right? Yeah. Huge. And that's all about language. It's all about how we talk to ourselves. Again, it goes back to this idea of mindset, right? So you talked about this idea of we're afraid to fail because it shows weakness. And again, this is you tweak the language and you change the story. What if failure isn't weakness? Failure is showing vulnerability. And when you're vulnerable, that is actually a form of tremendous strength. Right. This is one of the lessons mm -hmm. I learned very early on when I was experimenting with what at the time was called fitness in post. And I was teaching <laughs> editors how to use standing desks and use treadmills, like all this crazy stuff. <laughs> right. And I made the mistake of listening to a lot of the experts out there in the marketing mm -hmm. world and the podcast world. And I was using this one term that I didn't realize how dangerous it was to my psyche and my mindset. I've cracked the code on better health in post-production. I hadn't cracked anything. I was totally full of shit and I was trying to figure it out myself, right? But I wasn't willing to be vulnerable and I wasn't willing to share that I struggle with all the same things that you do. The difference is I'm obsessed with fixing these problems more than you are. So come with me while I figure it out together. It took me a while to find that narrative, mm -hmm. but it wasn't until I was vulnerable when I started sharing the challenges that I started building a community and I started believing in myself and having that mindset. So it went from, I've cracked the code and figured it out to, so I'm massively burned out and depressed right now. How about you? <gasps> you can't tell people you're depressed. You can't tell them you're burned out. I'm like, watch me, right? That's when the community started to grow. Right. And one of the things that I learned about this, this vulnerability and this failure, going back to what you said about the reticular activating center. For those that don't understand how that works, the simplest way that I can explain it is if you decide that you're going to buy a red Prius, they're all of a sudden everywhere. You're like, everybody's driving, driving a, red a red Prius. Prius. <laughs> no, they're not. But your brain can only process so many pieces of information mm -hmm. consciously. 
So all of a sudden you're focused on this thing and you see it everywhere, right? You can use the same thing with failure turned into learning lessons. You can use the same thing with gratitude, right? You can get all woo-woo about gratitude practices and journals, but the science shows that if you force yourself to write things you're grateful for, your perspective on the world changes, right? I'm not going to get too existential, but there isn't a reality. Your reality and your perception of the world mm -hmm. is different than my reality and my perception of the world. Yes. So the strike or the transition to artificial intelligence and how you're dealing with it is different than how you see it and you're dealing with it is different than me. And I choose to see an opportunity. Others choose to see the end of the world. But that tailors my version of reality. And if the way that I've rewired my brain is there's failure, how do I learn from it and get better versus there's failure, therefore I am a failure. You rewire that one thing, your entire perception of reality changes. Yes. And I, I can't stand that the I'm going to hack everything, right? Because the way that I view it, like people hack their bodies, they hack their minds. The shortcut. Mm -hmm. The shortcut yeah. to all of it. Not really. <laughs> it is literally about taking actionable steps every single day. So let's go into the morning routine on how do you develop a growth mindset? Let's say that I feel stuck and I'm freaked out right now because I'm in the film industry and we're having a strike and people are worried about work and they're worried about money and they're worried about, okay, that could totally shut me down from a mindset perspective. And so I think it's knowing how to protect yourself. It's knowing how to do actionable steps every single morning. I choose meditation. I'm religious about it. It's, it's really having habits to keep your body and mind, because remember the mind is, as we talked about, in the gut as well as the brain, as healthy as you can be every single day. So what do you do to keep this growth mindset? So I think when it comes to, if we're going to talk about building a morning routine and it's like, well, what do we do? The first problem that people are going to have is there are too many things that I could be doing. And if we're looking at the fact that, oh, well, the, the world is shutting down or the, the industry is stopped and I don't know what I'm supposed to do about it. People are going to be frozen and not be able to even build a morning routine at all. So I can say, here are the five steps to the best morning routine. They're going to do nothing with it. So to simplify everything, Separate what you can't control mm -hmm. from what you can control. I cannot control negotiations. I cannot control what's going to happen with the economy and with the industry and with artificial intelligence. All I control is my reaction to it. So I can simplify that way down to let's stop thinking about or focusing on or allowing the reticular activating center to say, ooh, pay attention to this. Read this news story. Get all that out of the way, right? So you don't need to start the morning with, oh my God, have they come to an agreement yet? Let me check my phone and your day is over, right? So instead, <laughs> what are the things that I can control? And there are a lot of different ways you can structure a morning routine. Everybody's is going to be different. There isn't a perfect morning routine, but there's a perfect morning routine for a certain person. So I believe that the a fundamental part of a morning routine for anybody and how you slice it is going to be different. But there has to be some form of mental learning and growth and mindfulness and physical. So I do my best to, and I'm not perfect at this, especially because it's summer vacation and I have middle schoolers in my house. So I'll be ready for the perfect morning routine and it's blown up in seven minutes. But having said that, I make sure that there's some form of physical movement and there's some form of mental practice. 
whether it's meditation, whether it's journaling, whether it's yoga, whatever it might be, I make sure that I'm balancing between I'm doing something to mentally prepare myself for the day and mm -hmm. physically prepare myself for the day. Sometimes I have an hour and a half to do that. Those mornings are bliss. I get onto my 8 a.m. coaching calls and I feel perfectly centered. And then there are other times where I get about four minutes in of a couple of jumping jacks and a couple of squats and I breathe three breaths and I get on the same call at 8 a.m. And in my mind, it's a shit show and my students can't tell the difference. So the, the first thing that I would recommend with any routine is that you have to make sure that you're eliminating as much of the distraction of the outside world and putting your attention towards the things that you can control, which for most people eliminates 90% of their day because we're so focused on what we can't control because that's the amygdala. That's the fear center of the brain saying, pay attention to this, be afraid. Guess who taps into that? The phone device makers and those that create the media and the those news. that create the news, right? They know that that's how they generate their income. Their empires are built on our amygdalas focusing on the fear. Mm -hmm. You eliminate all of that, just that. Let's say you do nothing that I just said, except you don't read the news in your morning routine. Your life will change. Yeah. No, I agree. And I love the... Uh, what you talk about in paying attention in your body. We were twins separated at birth, okay? <laughs> because our brains are so in sync and the way that we play things out, right, are, are like our minds. But I think it's also paying attention to your body. And this is a real trick that with quieting the mind you get much better at is you listen to where you're at and actually ask yourself, what is it that I need today? And maybe what you need today is writing down everything that's making you feel terrified. Or maybe you need to just calm your mind because you notice it bouncing in 700 different directions. Or maybe you need to fill yourself up with inspiration because you're feeling a little bit depressed and feeling as though, you know, the world is a pretty cruddy place right now. So I think it's, it's I, I read this great thing. It said everybody should start their day by just saying, what is it that I need? And mm -hmm. it doesn't need to be an hour of that, but it's just take a few minutes to check in with yourself before you jump out of bed and get into the world and the multiple demands and the, you know, it's like this little mini self check-in and then do, as you said, whatever practices you want. And then you can really face the day with a very different mindset and have a very different vision of is this going to be an amazing day and am I going to be really intentional with my day or am I going to be controlled by all of these external factors that I have absolutely no control over and make myself miserable? Yeah, I mean, that's ultimately the way that you can control your mindset and the quality of your reality is by focusing on your reaction Yes. To everything. Not what's going on, but how am I reacting to it? I mean, yeah. it's, you know, very Buddhist and very stoic, but there's a lot of truth in it. And there has been for thousands and thousands of years. And one addition that I would put in that, which is the same conversation in slightly different words, is that we and I have to remind myself of this all the time. This is my Achilles heel. So this is not me standing on my pulpit on my ivory tower on my high horse. This is me in the trenches struggling with everybody else. I have to remind myself we are human beings, not human doings. 
And when I wake up, the second I wake up, I am in doing mode. This is the way that I'm wired. And I have to remind myself I'm a human being first. So whatever the practice looks like to get you a little bit closer to being and a little bit less doing, whatever that looks like for you, that's how you can structure a morning routine or an evening routine or an exercise routine or whatever it is. But there's a really important question that and it's I think it's the most fundamental question that changes the game for being able Mm -hmm. to achieve any goal. And I've done extensive obsessive studies of goal setting programs and frameworks and focus and productivity. Like I've immersed myself in this world. And there's one question that nobody asks. The question everybody asks is, what is the goal? How do we achieve the goal? Now that we know the goal, what do we need to do to achieve it? How do we prioritize? The most fundamental question that nobody ever asks that changes the game. Here's what I want to achieve. What's stopping me from achieving it? So instead of figuring out what do I do next to build my morning routine, ask yourself the question, what's stopping me from building a healthy morning routine? Right. Well, I look at my phone before the second I wake up or I go to bed too late or, you know, I, I, I sleep in too long and I don't have enough time between my first meetings or my calls or my commuter or whatever it is. It's so much easier to be able to put together any routine mm-hmm. thinking what's stopping me from making it happen as opposed to what do I need to do first? Because as soon as it's what do I need to do, it's analysis paralysis. There's yeah. so many things I could be doing. Therefore, I choose nothing. Right. No, it's so true. And I think it's like when you start a a nutrition routine or when you start something new, you know how they always have you analyze what are you eating? And then you put down every single thing you're eating because then you realize that, wow, I'm really eating some unhealthy foods Mm -hmm. that I just am ignoring about what is going in or not thinking about what I'm putting in my mouth. It's the same thing. I think for people that really don't know, you could just make a list of every single action that you take from the minute your eyeballs pop open until, you know, you, you get to work or you get to set. And so it's really important for, for filmmakers, I, I think, to really understand this and take a minute out of their time. No, and absolutely. It's changed completely my mindset on set. Uh, you know, Lydia finally was able to uh, get me to start meditating, to start thinking about that, to designing a, a morning routine. And that's when it all completely changed for me. My mindset literally flipped overnight. And I, my whole basis is just gratitude. I look at so many people that are living under bridges and not, you know, can't provide for themselves, don't have health care. You know, there is so many people that are, are, are in very difficult situations. And I get to go in every day and cannot believe that they pay me to do what I do. Okay. That you have to be grateful as shit for because most people don't ever love what they do uh, as a job. It's just a job. And what they love is to get home from that job Mm -hmm. so they can start to have fun. My fun never stops. It's, you know, I wake up in the morning, I do a grateful meditation. I'm super pumped. I go in, hey, Shane, how you doing? Freaking fantastic. I get home and now it's like, oh, I want to cook. I'm going to cook or I'm going to, let's go see a movie or what are the kids up to? Or let's go for a date night. That The fun doesn't stop. 
And it doesn't stop when I go to bed either because mm -hmm. I know by getting eight hours of sleep <laughs> is going to continue to keep me on this gratitude train mm -hmm. and this uh, energy to, you know, take the hill for the directors and for the production companies and do my very best. But I think that, and I really want to clarify this for people, came with a lot of a very steep learning curve. It didn't just happen. No. So let's talk about, let's break that down a little bit in terms of, let's say that you're doing a job and doing filmmaking, both of those together. How do you get really intentional about not being miserable and about finding the gratitude? And, you know, let's say that you're not making the money that you want to make. You're struggling because it is a big struggle for a lot of years before you get to um, have it be easier, you know, in life for most people. It's it's a big, long struggle. And I think it's it's really about finding the joy and and in in moments and in the circumstances that you're in and not having it be well when i get here because that's a major trap i'll be happy when mm -hmm. yeah i'll be happy when so it's like let's get into intention because yeah. this is where the intention comes in to you know as you're climbing and slowly building there's a lot of pain there're tears there's stress there's struggle there're fights all of it so how do you what do you recommend for that yeah because I mean, i'd love to the, hear the, the, i think this is going to be another three-part episode so let's just put it on the calendar because i could talk about this for hours um but i think that i, I want to go back to something that you said which is not a tangent it's going to answer this question you said something really key which is that I can't believe they're paying me to do this. The two narratives that you need to listen to in your head are either I can't believe they're paying me to do this or oh, they cannot pay me enough to keep doing this. And I think that most filmmakers, that's what they're thinking. They yes. are not paying me enough to do that. They may think it's only in their heads, but everybody around them sees the same attitude and the mm -hmm. people around you see the attitude of, I can't believe they're paying me to do this. This is amazing. I'm so grateful to be here. Exactly. That's going to permeate everybody around you. And I think the challenge mm -hmm. with the filmmaking career path, which is different from others, yes. is that there isn't a filmmaking career path. <laughs> there are thousands of different paths. And it's the lack of certainty that what I'm doing is taking me where I want to go next, which brings a tremendous amount of resentment. You had said earlier this idea of like, well, I failed, so I'm on the wrong path and I need to deviate. And I'm actually going to go even deeper, which is that failure isn't a deviation from the path. Failure is the path. Failure yeah. is a part of the path. But you have to change, like you said, your intention. And if the intention is that here's the ultimate dream job. Someday I'm going to be the DP on this big, huge tentpole movie and I'm going to win my Oscar. That's a great vision to work towards. Having the intention to work towards that is great. There's nothing wrong with it. But that intention doesn't get you through the day when you're a second camera operator and you're doing loading or whatever you guys do, none of which I understand, right? So if the intention is instead, there's the vision. But the goal is in the next three months, I want to get really good at this one job because if I learn this one craft, let me use one I understand a little bit better. Focus pulling. I know what a focus puller does, right? So... The ultimate dream job, I'm going to win the Oscar for being a DP. Like, I cannot believe I'm here focus pulling. They couldn't pay me enough to deal with this crap. Versus, 
imagine how much of a better DP I'm going to be and how much better I can communicate with my focus puller if I'm learning the craft of focus pulling right now. So my intention is that today and for the rest of this production, I'm going to be the best focus puller they have ever seen. And if that means I'm going to try and innovate and I'm going to make a few mistakes, but I can learn and grow in a safe working environment where I have somebody like you in charge of the team that's allowing me to mm -hmm. experiment and learn and grow, I'm going to go in every day being grateful for my job as opposed to, well, this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing and this isn't getting me closer. But we, we, we so often focus on, like you said, when I get here, then I will be successful. Then I will be happy. But it's the reverse. Everybody thinks happiness leads to success. Oh, no. It doesn't. Once you, once you figure this out, the world is like, <laughs> duh. Having the happiness doesn't lead to the, the success, right? Mm -hmm. Or feeling that you need it to be successful to be happy, right? Yes. If you can be happy with where you are now, all the success just starts to come. And you're like, why didn't anybody tell me this, <laughs> right? No, it's, it's crazy. I mean, I find that now that I've changed my mindset, just things happen that you never thought would happen and they just happen like it's patchwork, like fits into the schedule perfectly, was exactly what I needed to, to, to get through the strike. You know, it's like all these things just start happening. And they said that in my meditation that I, I listened to, it's like, you gotta fill yourself up with gratitude so it's able to project six, 10, 100 feet in front of you. So they get into the shield of that gratitude. They, they enter that shield that you're, and you see it on set. Like I, I got this last series that I'm on, I went down because I got COVID. I was able to dodge that damn bullet for three and a half years. Me too. I got it recently. It yeah, knocked and, me out like a freight train. <laughs> no, it took me out, right? So I was not on set for five days. When I came back on set, you could not believe the hugs and the this, you know, from my camera grip and electric teams. We missed you. We missed that positive attitude. Every day, the smile. Every day, the laugh from seven rooms that I could hear mm -hmm. uh, on set. Mm -hmm. That energy, that's the gratitude wave, right? And, you know, it's like I'm, I'm surfing that shit and I don't ever want to get off of it. Mm -hmm. It is. And I think that when people are in fear or they're they're angry or feeling limited or resentful our energy precedes us wherever we are and i love energy so it's it's creating that ripple effect for yourself through gratitude practice through a lot of different things that we've talked about but but people need to understand that that we're energetic beings so we're physical mental emotional spiritual energetic beings. And I think the more that we can look at those individual elements within ourselves and really know ourselves, understand at our essence who we are, what we're grateful for, what our genius, where our genius lies, what we want to be giving to the world and our gifts. The more we get in deeper touch with that, then things just synergistically happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if we go back to this idea of the life hacks, right? Yeah. I'm on the same page of like, 
everybody thinks, oh, I, I want to shortcut this or make this easier. I don't believe in those. No. However, you want the simplest hack in the world that's understanding that the energy you put out into the world is going to bring the same energy back. Boom. There you go. <laughs> Easier said than done to make that happen. But if you're surrounded by miserable people all day long, you're probably a miserable person because you're attracting that energy and you're saying that it's okay to be surrounded by this energy. Yes. You're surrounded by a bunch of positive people that gravitate towards you because you're putting that energy out onto the world. Right. So understanding it and doing it are two completely different things. And there's no shortcut to being able to do it. But the simplest hack is understand that if you if you put forth the energy out into the world that you want to come back to you, then your entire reality completely changes. So that's the mindset shift. Yes. And, and trust me, I didn't do this very well in the beginning. Trust, you know, I, I was I was a huge failure at leading. I was a huge failure motivating my team. I was a huge failure. And yeah, I, I was so hell-bent on my success and whatever, wherever it was going to take me, I was rolling over people like a bulldozer. But that changed when I was able to just sit back, be grateful for everything that I, my talent, uh, what I've created, my family, my home, my friends, all that stuff, and just started to pull that all together in this grateful basketball, let's say, <laughs> that I was able to, that energy, and then create this massive grateful shield that, uh, and let's say wave that I'm able to bring into mm -hmm. uh, a film or a series or whatever I'm doing. Mm -hmm. But this, like Lydia said, this didn't happen overnight. And trust me, my failures in the beginning of 20 years of failure of not doing it right uh, was very debilitating for me as a as a creative mm -hmm. uh, and it it you know it would take me out at the knees sometimes and mm -hmm. I now finally finding my stride finally finding that energy and that positivity it's like now there's no way you're gonna there's no going back you know now I see the massive benefits of it where I just wish somebody would have just you know yanked me by the collar you know like the the mom you know and you're hey you know and said dude wise up you know oh this i try <laughs> <laughs> i know you did it takes no but i just wasn't listening that was truly that, it yeah it's it's the everybody has their own learning their their own internal learning to do. And, and I think that we all have such an inner journey and how quickly and how, you know, how it comes through painful lessons and not always, but I mean, I would say for the majority of people, there's, you get to greatness and you get to, uh, an ability to mentor after going through a lot of pain. Would you agree with that Oh, absolutely. I, I think that if you talk to anybody that's in the coaching space, the learning space, the mentorship mm -hmm. space, the great ones, the ones that are really good at it, require empathy. Yes. And if the only way to gain that empathy is to go through the same trenches that the people did that are they're going through now, you went through them in the past. Yeah. So you can learn how to be a decent coach from books and from online courses and from worksheets. You can't be a great coach unless you have empathy. And you hear the origin stories of all the really great authors and the great coaches and the great speakers. Mm -hmm. They all have the rock bottom speech. And you're like, 
oh my God, how did anybody go through that? But it's always the same thing. I hit rock bottom and I had this discovery and I realized there's another way where this doesn't have to happen to people like it happened to me. Yes. And there's this urgency to share it. Right. And if you had said that to me eight or nine years ago, <laughs> bullshit, <clears throat> right? It, it's all a sales ploy. But then there I was in my own rock bottom moment and I figured it out. And I'm like, how do more people not see this? And I built an entire career transition and pivot out of the urgency to want to share that, right? And I love that. So I, in the interest of trying to wrap this up, because we could go on for five hours. Oh, I've just started. And I know we've, we've, we've wound it up. You pulled the string. There's no going back. So we're going to do a part two. You're going to come back because mm. we have to. But I think really we've talked a lot about the principles of mindset and intention and about being intertwined. And I think if there is a, you know, what you just said is, is a pivotal moment, right? Like really looking back at your entire life journey, looking at where you're struggling, where you're hitting a wall, where you're miserable, where you're having the moments of resentment and crying and the painful feelings. Once you're there, right, how do you have the fortitude to really make that pivot? I think that's a good place to end this, yeah. right? It's, it's kind of taking all of the threads that we've talked about because that's a tough place to be in. Yeah. So the, the first thing that I'll say, and I said it already, but I want to emphasize it again. When you think you're in that pit of despair or it's been nothing but a string of failures and all these things are happening to you. Right. And you think I'm off the path. Welcome to the path. You are dead center in the middle of the path. So accepting that first, I help alleviate some of the responsibility of I'm not supposed to be here. I've done things wrong. Everything's supposed to be going well and it's not. You're dead center in the middle of the path and it's exactly where it is and you are exactly where you need to be. The next thing I think people need to realize, and I see this all the time, is they take on the burden of answering the question, why don't I have this figured out? And when you realize that you're not genetically wired to be in this place where you have all these problems. You're programmed to be here and it's just bad programming, whether it's from your parents that are creating these limiting mindsets, whether it's from society, whether it's from the industry. If you give yourself permission to realize that I'm not supposed to have all this figured out and it's not my mm -hmm. fault that I'm here, that's where the growth can start to occur. So if we go back a second ago to where you were talking about this idea of routines and like tracking all of your food, for example, one of the very first exercises that I take my students through that has to do with mindset, and it doesn't matter if it's about career or networking or moving more or eating better, awareness is the most powerful tool that you have. And do I believe that everybody needs a calorie counting app and they should count everything forever? Absolutely not, it's a horrible way to live. But if you're completely unaware of the choices that you're making, calorie counting for a week can change your life. Same thing with whether you're moving or not. Or how often am I thinking negative thoughts and complaining versus how much gratitude do I have? That awareness is the place to start, right? So if there's a place to wrap it up and it's like, I just, I, I don't feel like these are all the, these are all things that I know how to do. And I just feel like I'm, I'm not destined to, to make this transition. Just realize that you have not deviated from the path. You are living a dead center in the middle of the path. And I think it's also admitting that maybe you need some help. 
like, Absolutely. Uh, like reach out for help. Yeah. Right? The, the odds of you getting through it to the other side all by yourself are very, very slim. Now, if you're trying to get through to the other side just to barely survive, you might be able to dig yourself out alone. If you want to thrive, there's no way you're doing it by yourself. It's not going to happen. Yes. So join a community, look for resources, you know, really find help from experts because you know, and this is a whole other podcast, but we know that a lot of people are in a really dark place mentally and psychologically and that filmmakers are more prone to that. And so I really just want to end with there's help. Reach out for help because there are a lot of wonderful people in the world that want to see you succeed and cheerlead your community. Again, let's talk about it. Optimize yourself is a great place. If you really want wonderful coaching, go see Zach. Go and become a member. And there's a variety of ways to do that. You know, our community is supportive in terms of filmmaking skills and jobs and, you know, just coaching. If you want that, we have that as well. So I think it's really finding the resource that works for you and just you know, taking advantage of it and giving yourself permission to do that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more and just realize that I, I can guarantee this. I I've rarely speak in hyperbole, but I feel confident in this assertion. Whatever you're going through, you're not the only one. Somebody else is going through the same thing and they had the same challenges. And the more you find them, the more you surround yourself with similar with people that have similar obstacles and challenges as you and you support each other. It comes back to this is the energy I want to put out into the world. You attract it in return. All of a sudden it goes from the world is happening to me and there's nothing I can do to look at all of us trying to make something happen together. That's a life changing experience. It is. Yeah. And I think that um, just to end on don't think yourself as a failure because you're asking for help, <laughs> right? I mean, we, we've gone full circle here. It's like we talked about failure, how important it is. And now we're looking at it is, okay, for you to be able to move, to be better, more efficient, more better at all these things. Don't see that as a failure for asking for a coaching session with you or a mentor session with Lydia or myself. It's like, Going to a place where, whether it's through meditation, whether it's coaching, whether whatever it is, going to the gym, working out, whatever is going to get you in that right headspace uh, to work through it, to get the negative, uh, you know, culture out of your head, uh, you should just feel fully not a failure to be able to ask for help and to look for people to guide you. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, obviously. And I just want to emphasize one more time that it's not a weakness to fail or to ask for help. It's a vulnerability. And the more vulnerable you are about your needs, the more you're going to attract people that want to support you. And the more success you're ultimately going to have in your life and your career. Yep. So on that note, Zach, thank you so yeah, much. Thank you so much. For yeah, of course. I'm looking forward this. to parts two, three, and four. I, I, me too. <laughs> me too. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. All right. That concludes the Inner Circle Podcast with Zach Arnold, ACE. Hi, I'm Shane Hurlbut, and I'm an ASC cinematographer. And my wife and I have created this incredible resource called the Filmmakers Academy. And we'd love for you to download and rate our app. If you're a filmmaker, 
Do yourself a favor and download the Filmmakers Academy app today. It's available wherever you get your apps, most notably the App Store, Google Play, Amazon App Store, and the Roku Channel Store. The app includes everything on the platform for all access members and from content to community and coaching opportunities, everything you need to master your craft. So download the app. And this is the most important part. Be sure to rate it. Rating us really helps us spread the word and enhance our rankings in this dedicated app store. So if you love what we're doing, this is a way to show it. Together, let's take your career as a filmmaker to the next level.